from Cobalt Headquarters in San Francisco. This is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. My name is Caroline Wong, and I'd like to introduce today's guest, Ryan Stinson. Ryan and I met through my good friend and colleague, Julie Kurt. Ryan currently manages the security engineering team at HubSpot, where he enjoys leading cybersecurity efforts in a fast-paced, customer-focused environment. He began his career as an officer in the U.S. Air Force, where he served in a variety of information security roles within the Department of Defense. Since that time, he's developed a federated identity management suite for the Veteran, Veterans Affairs e-authentication project, built a line of business focused on security assessment, pen testing, and security architecture at a consulting firm, and managed the application security program at the federal judiciary. He has a BS in computer science and several cybersecurity certifications, including the CISSP, GIAC Certified Incident Handler, and GIAC Certified Pen Tester. Ryan, welcome to our podcast. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. So I'm really excited for you to be here. I feel like this is actually one of your first sort of forays into really sharing your story publicly beyond what's on your LinkedIn profile, as is um, you know, my typical process when preparing for these podcast interviews. I tried to stalk you on the internet and I did not have very much success. So, you know, we talked a little bit about that in our discussion the other day. What's that all about? Yeah, so from my perspective, privacy and discoverability about information is something that we all need to be really mindful of. I, I guess to a certain extent was fortunate, and, but it, it does cut both ways. But to a certain extent, I was fortunate in that as I was starting my career, uh, that was around the time that uh, Facebook, Twitter, and, and other social media platforms were really starting to hit the mainstream. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm part of a, a generation, I guess, if you will, that uh, it wasn't, you know, we, we weren't the digital natives. We uh, certainly in the roles that I had professionally, as well as kind of where I was demographically, was a little skeptical to begin with about making a lot of information available about myself online. And then I went from being part of the uh, Department of Defense, uh, specifically in the Air Force, to being part of a uh, intelligence agency. I spent a number of years at the FBI, and and those helped, on the one hand, instill a kind of an inherent sense of wariness about making information available uh, about yourself. Um, and that was encouraged professionally as well as kind of like adopted from the organizations that I belong to. Um, and I was also doing things like running social engineering campaigns against uh, our targets. And it became very clear to me how quickly it was uh, or how easy it was in today's day and age of putting together a really robust profile of, of individuals. And that made me kind of double check and uh, the kinds of things that I make available to him, I make them available, and, and what that means about my personal privacy. Now, with that said, it cuts both ways, right? So on the one hand, you can protect your privacy really well, but as professionals, we're all in the business of 
uh, building brands around ourselves, our, our work, our, our sense of um, uh, belonging with the uh, community and, and sets of expertise, and ha not having information about yourself out there, uh, just like any marketing program, um, if you don't have information out, if, you, if you're not making yourself discoverable, uh, you can hamper your own career. And I, I felt a little bit of the, of the both sides of that in that I'm fortunate not to have been part of a, like a, a major uh, uh, identity theft kind of situation, but you know there are also probably uh, opportunities that I don't know that I missed out on uh, because nobody knows that I'm, I'm there, out there. Yeah, it's very interesting. I found it to be uh, ironic um, that you're currently working at HubSpot, which of course is all about enabling sales and marketing and started getting the word out. Uh, and then I found you to be a very private person. Um, so for, for that, for your uh, willingness to join us today on the podcast, that makes me really, really happy. I think that's so cool. Um, and, I, and I thank you on behalf of our listeners. Um, Ryan, you know, when we were talking the other day, you told me that everything in your career so far, you sort of uh, in your own words, kind of fallen into backwards. Uh, you didn't, you know, as a as a ten year old kid, say, "Hey, you know, when I grow up, I want to lead security engineering at HubSpot." Um, you know, you sort of you sort of found yourself in a place and then another place. Um, and so, I'm very curious to know all about your journey. Um, I'd like to start out with your decision to study computer science. How did you get interested in that? Yeah, so for me, it really all starts with Legos. So I have been fascinated with building things and more and more complex things since I can remember, certainly since uh, before elementary school. It was uh, fascinating to me to sit in quiet spaces and put stuff together and, and look at structures of things. And this is, you know, Legos. Um, but that moved into... Uh, building computers then subsequently and it moved into writing stupid little uh, software applications and you know Pascal and all kinds of like learning languages back when I was again probably in in elementary school and, and middle school so I always knew that I wanted to be in we wanted to build things wanted to be a part of putting things together that's always been a strong suit and a passion and so move you know moving into needing to uh, declare a major during undergrad it was a pretty natural fit to say computer science and and those kinds of pursuits that's that's where I belonged um, and I've loved it ever since very cool and then when you were studying computer science uh, I understand you were also involved in ROTC what was attractive to you about the ROTC program and how did you find yourself in the U.S. Air Force? Yeah, so there are kind of two answers to that. There's the uh, the one answer, which is they paid for school, which is great. And, you know, the, there was a, a time when I was a junior, senior in, in high school looking at, you know, how I was going to get into to college. And the uh, scholarship program happened to be very generous at the time. And so, it's, again, it was one of those situations where I kind of lucked my way into it. That's kind of been my the theme of my career and better to be lucky than good, I guess. But the other side of it is being part of the Air Force and even before that being part of the ROTC program during uh, college, 
it provided a sense of structure that I don't think I brought into it. You know, as a 17 or 18 year old kid, I wasn't going through life thinking about schedules or work habits or study habits in, in a particularly structured way. And so uh, one of the things I really loved about uh, officer training and then subsequently my time as an officer is it, it forced me to uh, adapt my way of being in a, in a way uh, that I think benefited my career long term and uh, certainly helped me enjoy a lot of things about life a lot better than I, I think I would have otherwise. That's awesome. I think it's so interesting to hear about your story as sort of a, you know, my words, of course, on your story, but kind of like an introverted tinkerer, you know, and then and then transitioning into sort of this rigorous, structured place where it seems to me you really picked up discipline as a skill set and, and, and an, another tool in your belt to be able to kind of use uh, when you felt uh, that that was appropriate, uh, so I think that's I think that's just so cool. And then, how did, how did you find yourself then transitioning to working on the veteran Veterans Affairs authentication project? Um, I'm I'm curious to know about that transition as well. Yeah, so I spent about uh, six years or so in the Air Force. As started as second lieutenant, uh, got promoted up up through captain, and liked being in the Washington D.C. area, which is where I was assigned uh, for my my last assignment. Got to do a, a whole bunch of things. Got to live in a whole bunch of, of places over the course of that six years. Um, but liked the Washington D.C. area. Uh, looked forward to staying in that area uh, for for uh, a period of time, but was looking for something a little bit different than being in the Air Force. And at that time, there was a whole push around how do we solve uh, user login and authentication challenges across the federal government. So there was a, a presidential directive at the time saying everybody needed to use uh, smart cards, like uh, tokens for authentication. And if you have public-facing websites, you need to uh, have a, a central way of managing the identities for people who are, who are logging in, what we call now uh, SSO, single sign-on. And this is not in the early days of SAML, but certainly before SAML was quite as widely adopted as it is today. Uh, so there's this, again, one of those wonderful opportunities that I kind of fell backwards into. When I was looking at leaving the Air Force, uh, there was a opportunity open uh, as an engineer on a, on a team that was building the uh, SSO platform for the Veterans Affairs and got to build skill sets and build on skill sets and build entirely new skill sets uh, as a part of being yeah, part of that project. It was a great experience. It was a wonderful team, wonderful people, and an interesting mission, certainly coming from the Department of Defense. You know, it, there are a lot of parts of the defense industry that are very kind of secret squirrel about what they do. They're solving for internal stakeholders. They're small at solving for uh, kind of smaller sets of people. And certainly that's not true for everybody, but the, the spaces I was in had relatively discrete sets of people who are interested in the, the stuff that we're working on. And uh, when you go over to the VA, on the other hand, they have like millions or maybe even tens of millions of people that they're serving. They're, they're very much a community that's, that's focused externally. And so it was neat to 
shift uh, the lens that I use to look on look at technology projects in that way. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. And then so after your work at the VA, you shifted into yet another type of work, which is building teams and building lines of business at a, con at a consulting firm, which of course is very different work uh, and requires, I think, a totally different skill set. Uh, I think I read you actually built your division up from two FTEs to over 20 uh, in just three years, uh, which is which is a lot of effort. Can you tell us a little bit about what drew you to that uh, and what that was like? Yeah, so this is another situation of just this wonderful opportunity presented itself. Um, I had done some amount of pen testing and security assessment work while I was still in the DOD, kind of took a break from that for a little while while I was at the VA. And then uh, another opportunity opened up at the uh, FBI to support uh, some of their uh, application and network exploitation activity kind of with, with an internal focus, uh, internally to the FBI, that is. And um, so I joined this company, we, we contracted to uh, FBI, so I had the opportunity to spend time at the J. Edgar Hoover building and, and in the uh, areas around it. But then also, because I was part of this other company, got to look at some of where the other market opportunities were. And the one thing that was immediately clear shortly after I joined the consulting firm, and that was that there was a huge opportunity for uh, pen testers, kind of more freelance pen testers, who uh, got to uh, look uh, across the board. Now, we, we certainly were not the first by any means um, to uh, build a, a consulting practice around uh, pen testing and other kinds of uh, uh, security assessment activities, um, but the, the need was still there. There was a really ripe market for that kind of work. And so one of the things uh, I and another gentleman started doing is uh, within the auspices of the, the consulting uh, company, started doing like some some freelance work, started picking up more uh, steam from a number of federal agencies as well as a number of private organizations generally in the DC area running uh, pen tests and kind of bringing those skills to bear and a lot of organizations that just hadn't seen uh, rigorous, you know, vulnerability exploitation, hadn't really thought through how the chains of vulnerabilities can be pieced together in order to exacerbate the kind of risk of the whole. And so fortunately, we had a lot of, uh, again, success and some, some luck uh, bringing on a lot of uh, new clients. We had a lot of luck bringing together a really wonderful team of, of really, really smart people. It's amazing to see all of the career progression that's happened for the folks uh, that are on that team. They're these days kind of everywhere right now and all doing really good work and, and doing wonderful things uh, kind of across the world these days. And again, yeah, yeah, it was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of 70, 80, or 90 hour weeks, you know, doing not only the, the work of uh, the engagements that you had, but writing new proposals, drafting statements of work, getting uh, marketing content, sales content together to, to push out to new prospective customers. Um, you're, you're, you're wearing a lot of hats and you're juggling a lot uh, all at the same time, but it's super rewarding when you get to 
go into a client or even better yet, have a team that's supporting you that goes off kind of individually to all of these clients and, and brings a lot of value to how they do risk management and, you know, how they, they harden and better protect the environments uh, that they have. And we've gotten to pen test all kinds of things from gaming consoles to traditional web apps to big, big, you know, uh, 100,000 node more uh, backbone infrastructure. So you kind of get to see all kinds of things. Um, the uh, kind of IoT craze was starting to hit around that time. So there's all kinds of really interesting work in, in that space. And for, for people who are new to their careers, certainly in the InfoSec space, or even looking to get in, one of the things I uh, generally recommend is do at least a couple years consulting. Join a firm, even you know, as a, as a near entry level, um, get to see how uh, different kinds of companies work, get to see how they uh, approach the kinds of results that you bring to the table. And you can do that, you know, as, as one of the big four, you can do that as a smaller uh, consulting shop, or you can do that kind of individually. Like there's, there's so many, you know, whether it's your local restaurant or, you know, the barbershop down the road, everybody's got a website, everybody's, you know, hosting their stuff on WordPress or doing any kinds of, any number of kinds of things. So if you're looking to get into the, the world of cybersecurity or are already kind of have a toe in or looking to expand that there's a much bigger need than there is a professional cohort to solve that need uh, so kind of the opportunities are are endless but it takes that initiative yeah very cool i can sense a great amount of pride that you have in this particular time in your career the, the team that you built and and running your own business really, you know, as, as a line, as a, as a line of business, as part of the consulting firm. Um, and I really appreciate you sharing that advice with our listeners. So then you, so then you pivoted again and you decided to run AppSec uh, for the courts. Um, that is interesting. I, I know a lot of lawyers, my father's an attorney, my best friend's an attorney. Uh, and you know, when I think about lawyers and then I think about tech people and I think about lawyers and I think about security people, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of personality traits in the mix. Um, what was that like for you? Oh, it was so much fun. So it was another one of those wonderful opportunities that just kind of presented itself over time. Um, uh, while I was doing consulting, one of our clients was the U.S. court system. We were doing uh, security assessments for individual courthouses at the time. So we had, uh, we had uh, a couple traveling teams that would go uh, all over the place uh, for you know district courts, bankruptcy courts, appellate courts who who invited us in. And we you know got to bring that expertise to bear there. As the time went on, there was more of a need to focus on AppSec within the, uh, across the judiciary. So there was a, a position and a team that uh, got created and a, a management position that, that opened up, focusing on uh, kind of the early life cycle part of uh, application development. So we were working kind of hand in hand with developers, working hand in hand with uh, folks who were on the first steps of deploying new applications or rebuilding, uh, refactoring existing applications. And got to, again, kind of take that pen test mentality, that security architecture review kind of mentality, and use it to better protect uh, 
uh, all of the many applications that the judiciary has. And I know that a lot of people are familiar with the third branch of government, but they have a, a pretty significant impact on the kinds of uh, government records that are available to the public. So the judiciary runs a system called uh, PACER, which is a terrible acronym, but um, it's uh, public access to court electronic records. And, and there's some amount of controversy about how that works in the paywall, et cetera. But it's, it's a really, you know, when you look at the back end, it's a really interesting, very uh, high scale um, and high impact uh, web application that's, you know, publishing all of these uh, uh, the decisions from basically every courthouse, every federal courthouse everywhere uh, in the U.S. or U the U.S. plus, you know, all territories. So, yeah, when you, when you get to do that kind of work and you kind of take a step back and you, you think through both, you know, what the attacks could have been like, the uh, attacks that you may have prevented, um, the, the kinds of vulnerabilities that you identified before uh, it became a big deal, you, you know, keep your, your organization or your company kind of out of the news in that context. You know, it, things didn't get popped, things didn't get, get compromised, people's data wasn't uh, inadvertently exposed. That's, yeah, that's a good feeling. It's, that's, when you get to do that, it's inherently a fun job to have. That's awesome. You know, Brian, it sounds to me, as I hear you describe each of these phases throughout your career, that you really have found a level of satisfaction and enjoyment in your work. Uh, and at the same time, you said to me that in your current role at HubSpot and, and over the past four years or so, you are where you belong in a way that wasn't true in past lives. Uh, I imagine that there is a major cultural shift moving from the public sector to the commercial sector. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey at HubSpot and, and where you're headed? Yeah, so I've loved being at HubSpot, but it is a completely different lens than how I've gone through other parts of my career. The federal government um, and public sector work generally is incredibly rewarding. I've been really lucky to fall into some, some opportunities, some positions that uh, I've loved and I've gotten to learn a lot and work with really wonderful people. On the other hand, Certainly at, at places like DOD or FBI or the, the court system, you're part of large organizations. Like these are tens of thousands, uh, at least, if not hundreds of thousands or, or larger person organizations. So there are a lot of people there, you know, certain kinds of dynamics in those organizations. When I joined HubSpot, I think there were about 700 employees. It was a very small company. It still feels like a very small company. Um, and one of the things that I've uh, realized about myself is that I love uh, everything about the small company feel. I, I like the uh, sense of collaboration. Uh, at HubSpot, we have a wonderful focus on company culture, on making sure that we do right by our uh, employees, as well as uh, bake that uh, kind of community focus into the products that we build and uh, into the way we, we interact with uh, our customers. And you know, if, if you had asked me six years ago if I was going to succeed in a, a marketing SaaS platform startup, I, I would have said absolutely not. But I got a chance to meet the team. It was a very small team at the time. I think there were four of us 
back a couple of years ago. Uh, we're now much larger. We, we have had this wonderful opportunity to demonstrate our value as security professionals in a place that you know didn't necessarily need to focus on the the kinds of skill sets and the the kinds of uh, uh, mindsets that uh, kind of collectively we bring to bear. Um, but there's been this wonderful adoption of risk management and risk management in a really HubSpotty way. Um, HubSpotty is our term for, you know, things that uh, work well with the culture that, that um, are, are uh, align well with, with the, the culture that we aspire to. And I think we've, we've been uh, really successful and we've been really well embraced by the rest of the HubSpot community as a, you know, value contribution uh, to the product space, to uh, the way we uh, work with uh, employees and the physical space of, of our offices. Um, it's been a really rewarding experience. That is so cool. Hubspotty. I like that a lot. Um, Ryan, as I um, expected would happen, our conversation has gone by so quickly uh, and we are actually coming to the end of our time. I want to ask you as our final question for today's podcast about Hubspot's culture. Um, it seems to me that it's such an engaging and a dynamic place to work. Um, what sorts of things do leaders at HubSpot do to make that happen? How does, how does that happen? The biggest things far and away, especially for leaders at HubSpot, this is really true for, for every employee kind of across the board. Uh, the, the two skills that are going to help you succeed here are collaboration and transparency. If there are, I can't think of a single person uh, who works here who, who is a, a highly successful person here at HubSpot who doesn't work really well with other people, who doesn't uh, kind of give the people around them the benefit of the doubt and opportunities to succeed. I've benefited directly from that. I, I hope other people say the same for me. Um, and the, the other piece is transparency. So one of the things we pride ourselves on is being radically transparent inside of the company and uh, as well with our customers. You know, I have the opportunity to, to write a, a, a lot of our uh, security content uh, that's uh, made available to our customers, to prospective customers, et cetera. And no one ever comes back to me and says, I'm not sure if we should say that. I'm not sure if we should make that available. It's all about, and you know, my perspective when I'm when I'm writing, when I'm pushing content out to customers, um, the perspective of the marketing team and the sales team and the engineering teams that I work with in, in building that content. The the focus is like, let's get it out there. Let's wear it on our sleeves. You know, that we we certainly run into our own bumps and bruises. We skin our knees on on you know somewhat of a frequent basis, um, but we learn from it, we, we own up to it, we make sure that um, uh, we, we uh, keep those lessons in mind and, and don't make the same mistakes twice. Uh, and, you know, through it all, like, really uh, push the message out. No one is out trying to protect their reputation uh, at the expense of keeping others in the loop about what things are going on. And I, I love those things about uh, the company. I love those things about the product. I love the th those things about uh, how we engage with our customers. And yeah, if you, if you want to come here, we're hiring and uh, 
We, we always have positions open. We have positions open here on the security team as well, newly uh, opening positions. And yeah, if you're, if you're willing to kind of think outside of the box, if you're willing to work with uh, a really great team and, and provide a lot of transparency into what you're doing and, and how you're solving problems and, and uh, all of those kinds of things, uh, it's, it's a great place to be. Cool. Fantastic. Brian, thank you so much uh, for sharing your story with us today. Um, I can hear the passion that you have for the work that you do, um, and I can hear how fun it is for you to be at HubSpot, uh, and I really appreciate you sharing your energy uh, with our listeners today. Thank you so much. I was so happy to be here. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been great. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt, a pen test as a service company. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec.